here, Psalm 62. So it's, <clears throat> if you have the New King James Version, it's called A Calm Resolve to Wait for the Salvation of God. To the chief musician, to Jedithan, a psalm of David. And Jedithan is now one of my favourite names in the Bible, and it means praising. I think that's just the best name for a worship leader. <laughs> Couldn't get a better name. Um, and he was a, a Levite, uh, a chief of one of the three choirs in the temple at Jerusalem. Um, so notice, first of all, that David composed this psalm for public worship. And it's most likely written at the time of the rebellion of David's son Absalom. So it's written from a time of trouble. And we know Absalom wanted his throne, the throne of his father David. And I think the question we often find ourselves asking about David is, how could he be so strong? How could he be so faithful? And so strong in the Lord when his enemies were so aggressive and their intent was to do him such harm. But we see David, he trusted God with a, a radical faith. And the Psalms are given to us, and that's one thing I've, I've been learning going through the Psalms, they've been given to us as prayers of faith, that we too can have this assurance, and we can know the peace of God and find strength in his presence. And that's what this Psalm is all about today. Knowing God's presence in, in good times and bad times. And we see in the Psalm, David, he doesn't, there's no prayer, there's no supplication as such. He doesn't ask God for anything, but it's full of faith and it's full of trust. And there's some strong, encouraging themes that emerge from this Psalm. And you've got handouts, hopefully, with those themes and, and points as we go through. So please follow along as we bring those things out. Um, so we see verse 1. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. So this is the first theme, that God alone saves us. Straight away David, he's declaring his confidence and trust in God alone, the source of his salvation. And we see enormous challenges and, and trials in David's life, yet he can say, my soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation. So the first point is that our faith is not in Jesus plus other things, but it's in Jesus alone, in the person of Jesus. And this word translated as only or alone, it runs all the way through this Psalm, and that's what gives us our title today in God alone. And it's easy to put our trust in other things, isn't it? Jesus plus the world, whatever it might be. And David mentions a lot of these things in this psalm, which we're going to get into. But Paul said, we trust in the living God, who is the saviour of all men. And throughout this psalm, David is he's affirming his faith and he's gospeling himself in this truth. That the source of his salvation is in God alone and it's not to be found in the world and he's not trusting in anything other than God's faithfulness and God's promises to him but I find I struggle quite often with reminding myself 
gospeling myself in this truth. Our ears, our hearts can become quite dull to the wonder, the glory of the gospel. But why is that? Why, why can our hearts become dull to this amazing truth? But it's why we need to gospel ourselves every single day. The Bible says that we have received the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And one thing that struck me in preparing for this, it's so easy to rely and to trust on the means that God uses to guide our faith and not the end, which is Jesus. For example, we see in this psalm, he he doesn't argue with the enemy here or he doesn't question God or the means that God uses to guide and to grow his faith. But he looks to God as the rock of his salvation. And I think it's, it's great to see, I think that's one thing that's so encouraging about these Psalms. There's so much adversity, there's so much pain that God uses to grow David in his faith. And David, we see here, he's, he's praying, he's trusting, he's waiting on the salvation on the del- or the deliverance, another translation of that word, the deliverance of God. And he's hoping and trusting in God alone because he knows that God promised him the kingdom. No matter who pursued him, whether it was Saul or whether it was his own family rebelling against him, he knew that God had promised him the throne, that he was God's anointed and he believed in the promises of God. And we ought to as well as we see them in his word. So let's see this calm resolve that David has to wait for the salvation of God. But let's also say that Jesus ordains, sovereignly ordains all the circumstances in our life. However he uses, whatever he uses in this life to grow our faith, he ordains the means. And there's no path hidden from his sight. Amen. But our faith is in him alone, not in the means. We don't trust in the means, we trust in Jesus. Because no path is hidden from his sight. So Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith, but he also ordains the means. Our salvation comes from him and our soul rests in him. And that's a big Bible word, isn't it? Soul, it's not just a Bible word. But when we talk about the soul and the Hebrews, literally, it means to breathe. So it's the breath God has given to us. And in Genesis, our first scripture reference, we see in chapter two, verse seven, the Lord tells Um, It tells us the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's the King James Version. So with our soul, it's our appetites, our emotions, our affections. We respond to God. He's given us a soul to respond to him and that's what distinguishes us from other creatures. God has given us a soul to respond to him with our appetites, our emotions, and our affections. And the Bible talks about our soul being redeemed. It says our soul thirsts for the living God. The Bible talks about how our soul rejoices in God and is joyful in the salvation that we have. So we have a soul that we can enjoy God forever. Amen. And that's when David says, my soul silently waits for God. And it speaks of complete surrender before God's will. Surrendering to God's will. 
So notice our dependence and trust in God. It's not just words, it can be expressed in complete silence. And I think sometimes for me, it's easier to talk to God instead of waiting to hear from God. Amen. And I think that's what uh, David is, is, is trying to get across. That's one of the main points in waiting silently before God. And David writes in Psalm 37, Craig taught from this psalm a few weeks ago. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And of course, Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. And he calls us to be still and to know that he is sovereign over everything that life can throw at us. And life throws a lot of stuff at us. But through it all, he calls us to be still and know that he is God, that he is in control. Amen. So from him comes my salvation, David says. He only is my rock and my salvation. And I've been slightly under the weather recently, about three weeks of flu, man flu, I guess you could call it. I got a strain of flu from the Philippines from my wife, and I got the Norwich strain as well. So I've been forced to slow down, quite literally, which hasn't been a bad thing, especially in this psalm. And I think that was one of the reasons John get or one of the reasons the Lord wanted me to, to teach from this song this morning because I can be incredibly busy and it's good to be busy. It's good to be busy, especially uh, with, with ministry, but you can be too busy. And busyness isn't always obedience. And that's the one thing I've, I've been, um, God's been speaking to me about recently. So he, I've been pretty sick and... <laughs> A verse that's really encouraged me um, is in Isaiah. It's in chapter 30 from verse 15. And it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And I love, I love the connection there. And verse 18 continues, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Therefore he will be exalted and he may have that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all those who wait for him. So as we come before the Lord, maybe all the words have been said or, or perhaps no words will come. We can be still and know, even in silence, we can wait on him and know that he promises to be gracious to us because he knows every intent of our heart. He knows all our needs. But he longs to be gracious to us because our God is a God of mercy. Amen. Amen. And of course, that passage in Isaiah finishes with a great promise. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So the Lord waits to be gracious to us, to guide our steps and to direct our path. And blessed are all those who wait on him. Let's go to verse 2 in our psalm today. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be greatly moved. So he only is my rock and my salvation, my defence. So through, throughout the Old Testament we see, especially in the psalms, we see God is called the rock. And it's, it's a very reassuring name. 
forgot. <laughs> One of my favourites. Um, but it's literally a high rocky summit or high place, that's what it means. Not just a big rock, but a high place, a place that we can run to for refuge. That's the idea here. And in Psalm 18, verse 10, sorry, Proverbs 18, verse 10, David says, The name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The righteous person runs to it and is set safely on high. So what does this tell us about God's character? It tells us that as we run to him, as we seek him and rest in him, he is utterly reliable for us. He is a source of strength and a rock that endures throughout every generation. So God is the rock. God is our rock. And in contrast, David brings these other examples of, he says in verse 3 and verse 4, to his enemies, David is just like a broken down wall or a tottering fence. It's a great, great expression. So he's unstable. He's likely to fall. And that's how we often feel, isn't it? But his enemies were looking to topple him. And that's how his enemies perceived him. But God was his rock. And God was his deliverance. And David rested in his truth. And David's faith in God was strengthened. And I think we too, we can have the same assurance. And unfortunately, our path in life often, we encounter others who delight to tell lies about us. They delight to maybe to our faces, they praise us. You know, they're, they're our friends, but in their hearts they curse. And we don't know, only God knows the intents of people's hearts. But I'm sure we've all experienced this, and maybe you're going through it even now. And I think it's easy to revile back when we've been reviled but Jesus wants us to be radically different from the world he doesn't want us to respond in the same way we would have done before we found our salvation in Jesus he wants us to be pure in heart and he pours his love into our changed hearts that we might walk in love to those outside Amen. we've got his supernatural love Romans 5 talks about the love that he's poured out into our hearts. And we also see that rock, this rock of salvation. To the children of Israel, this is how they saw God. And when Israel strayed, we see in Isaiah 51, he exhorts them when they were struggling. He exhorts them saying, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn or cut. And we're called to do the same in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's the key point of this first section, really. If we're looking to Jesus as our rock, we shall not be shaken. Whatever may come, we shall not be shaken. And we see the apostles of Jesus, they applied this same name of God to him. And that's important. We see the apostle Peter's first letter. He talks about Jesus. 
this rock of salvation, he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So the cornerstone, that's another name of God, another name that we see in the Old Testament in prophecy of Messiah, Jesus, the cornerstone. And this was the foundation stone that was set in place in the, the temple. If you go back in the Old Testament, we see it was set in the construction of the temple and all the other stones were set in reference to this cornerstone. So he was the keystone, this is what Peter's saying. And the cornerstone determined the entire structure of the temple. Isn't that just a fantastic picture of how Jesus is, how the church is built on Jesus Christ? And we see in the same passage, Peter, he goes on in chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the living stone. And as his believers, as we are living stones with him, it's his church. Let's see that he is the cornerstone and we now present our lives to God through his acceptable sacrifice. And it's just a great picture for us this morning of how our salvation and how our foundation is in Jesus Christ alone, our cornerstone, our rock of salvation. David says, God is also our defense or fortress. I shall not be greatly moved. So no matter how great the strength of our opposition, no matter what the enemy might bring against us, God is our fortress. And this is another name, another way David is referring to the strength that we find in God. He's our fortress, so our identity is found in him, literally. And we can be secure and confident in his love for us. Amen. We shall not be greatly moved. And Paul says, I'm sure you all know this verse very well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4. So, it's Christ who strengthens us. But Jesus is also the rock that sustains us and that's another aspect of the rock. He's our foundation. He underpins our faith. We stand on him. But he also sustains us. And the Apostle Paul tells us when the children of Israel, when they thirsted for water in the wilderness, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. And as Jesus stands in the courts of the temple in Jerusalem, he cries out, If any one thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, when he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus says in chapter 4 of John, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, will never thirst, but the water that I shall give will become in you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So because Jesus was struck, we have that picture of the rock being smitten by the rod of Moses in the desert and water gushed out and gave life 
to the children of Israel. In the same way, Jesus gives life to us. He is that rock that was smitten and the water poured out, the living water. He was struck, he poured out his soul on the cross, Isaiah 53 says. He willingly took the punishment of our sin upon himself. He stood in our place because of his sacrifice. Living waters now flow from his throne freely and ceaselessly. Praise God. Jesus is the rock of salvation that strengthens us and he's the rock that sustains us. And that's a very important aspect of how we rest in God, in God alone. And in verse 5, it shifts slightly. Back in, chapter, back in Psalm 62, verse 5, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. It sounds the same as verse 1, doesn't it? It's almost exactly the same as verse 1. But there is a difference. It's not just repetition. David has moved from, I shall not be greatly shaken, to I shall not be shaken. So it's a greater affirmation of a previous truth. And David is now encouraging himself directly in this truth. My soul, wait for God alone. He's talking to himself. He's exhorting himself. My soul, wait for God alone. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved and this is the second theme we see God alone gives us hope God alone gives us hope for my expectation is from him our hope is in God alone and this is what we see here in David the more we hope in God's good character the greater our peace as we see God in this way as our rock Rock that strengthens, sustains us. In God is our hope. The greater our peace. And in Psalm 42, David says a similar thing. You're probably quite familiar with this psalm. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's speaking to himself. Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. He's gospeling himself and this is what we should do. It's exactly what David's doing here. He's encouraging himself to trust in God. My soul, find rest in God alone. And God is our rock. He's our fortress in times of trouble. And as we rest secure in him, secure in this truth, we can hope in him because our expectation is from him. Amen. He only is my rock and my salvation. So as believers here today, our expectation is from God alone, not from anywhere else. And possibly one of my favourite verses, certainly at the moment, is in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. It says, We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever. So we can find rest in God alone because he is the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. He's the, literally the ground of hope 
the one that we look to with eager expectation. He is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. It's a very godly lady called Corrie Ten Boom. She lived in the war. She survived the Holocaust. Um, she's wrote some amazing books about her faith and how her faith was in God alone, how she trusted in Christ through the, the darkest and most difficult of times. And she said, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. <laughs> it's one of my favourite quotes. And you can imagine in Nazi death camps that God was literally all she had. So notice that David, he goes from knowing and declaring truth about God's character in verse 1 to encouraging himself directly in that truth in verse 5. And that's an important pattern to see. And I think the sense from this verse is that David, like us, he was tempted to trust in so many different things. And he messed up big time. We all know David messed up big time. He wasn't perfect. But the pattern of his life was repentance and trusting God. And that's important to see. And that's what the Psalms communicate to us. So let's grow in the assurance of God's faithfulness towards us. And know that God's love for us is steadfast this morning. It's unfailing. Our hope and expectation comes from the Lord. But notice, in contrast to all the other things we can hope in and put our trust in, we see in verse 9 and verse 10, I'm just going to read it again. David says, Surely men of low degree are a vapour. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapour. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. And if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. <laughs> and that's a word to us this morning. And we're reminded here, that in the world there is no enduring substance worthy of our hope. Many things we all know can capture our hope. Many things that we can trust in. There's people we look up to, people we admire. And we celebrated um, 50 years of God's good grace in John's life yesterday. And to trust and to be trustworthy, it's an important part of being in relationships. But David explains here why it's important not to set your trust solely in other people, no matter how good an example they are in the faith. Whether people of low degree or high degree, elsewhere David says, certainly every man at his best state is but vapour. That's a sobering word. Now he says we're altogether lighter than vapour. Our hope as Christians is in an eternal God who is unchanging and perfect in all his ways. Amen. Do not trust in oppression, David says. So riches gained by oppressive measures. Do not vainly hope in robbery, which would be riches gained by dishonest means, obviously. And we see many advance through unjust and oppressive means, don't we, in this world. Those who maybe lack integrity, they don't show honesty. And he warns us here against this mindset that the results never justify evil or dishonesty. 
showing integrity in our finances, for example. I think there's many subtle permutations that can have. Ways in which we can be tempted to compromise, especially at work, whatever it might be, or the work that we do at university, or whatever temptations there may be to compromise our integrity. But you can bring glory to God. You can bring a unique glory to God in your honest labours. And he promises blessing there. It says in Proverbs 13, chapter 11, uh, verse 11, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labour will increase. And that's encouraging. But David says in verse 10, If riches do increase, don't set your heart on them. And I think of here David here as king. And the kingdom wealth that David had, he, he saw riches, he knew what wealth was. But he also knew poverty and hardship. And he understood the foolishness of setting one's heart on riches alone. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul exhorts us not to set our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Amen. And I think all of this just serves as a warning to us not to let others or the trustworthiness of others or the material possessions that we have, don't let that erode your trust in God. Our trust in God can be so easily eroded by the things that can capture our hope and our trust in the world. But no, our, our hope is in God alone. Amen. Set your hopes on God alone this morning. And as we hope in God alone, we can look to him confidently and knowingly. And that's another Corrie ten Boom quote that I came across. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. <laughs> and praise God this morning that we can know God through the person of Jesus Christ. We can look at the Gospels. We can see the life that our Lord Jesus lived. And we see he's the full revelation of the Father. And our hope in him is a confident hope because it's a living hope. Because as Jesus lives, we hope in the living God. Amen. But is Jesus our treasure today? Do we hope in him above all other things in this world? And Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, didn't he, in Matthew? But the outworking of this, of course, is, is that God wants others to know the joy of trusting in God. The people we work alongside, the people we study alongside, members of our family and friends. It's a shared hope. It's not a hope we bottle inside. It's a shared hope. And we want others to know the joy that we have of trusting in God through us. So let's rest in this place of hoping in God. And by faith, let's Grow in the ways God wants us to grow. So verse 7. Again we see David repeating this, this phrase. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. So David, as we see him going through the psalm, he's stronger now in his conviction. He's being affirmed in his faith. He's more confident in this truth. 
in God is my salvation and glory, the rock of my strength. And being encouraged in this truth, I can say my refuge is in God. As he's encouraging himself in this truth, as we encourage ourselves, as we gospel ourselves, we can look to God, assured that he is our refuge. Amen. And this is the third theme, that God alone brings encouragement. And that's how I see when I think of God as my refuge, I think of how God encourages us in all the ways he does that. And I think of when we were worshipping before, you know, my son was in front of me and it was great just to give him that encouragement, you know. And I think children need encouragement, don't they? They come to us and they expect encouraging behaviour, encouraging words from mum or dad. In our case, it's normally mum, <laughs> who he runs to when he's troubled, um, or me sometimes. But, you know, he trusts us to care for him. And he trusts us that he's always going to receive encouragement. But more important, and I love to give him encouragement, but more important than that is that I want him to know that God alone is his heavenly Father, whose ways are perfect. Amen? That's what we sung this morning. You are perfect in all your ways. I want my son to know that God alone is his refuge in this world. In the previous psalm, in Psalm 61, just before this one, David declares, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And we see this protective care, almost like a, a mother eagle gathering her young. We see this picture, this care that God exercises over us, his beloved children. And as his beloved children, he wants us to abide in him, to trust in him and to know that he longs to be merciful to us. I read something this morning. I'm just going to share it with you. It's a poem. I will lean on him like a child each and every day. I will live in thankfulness. I will watch and pray. Thank you, my Lord, for knowing a sinner like me. Oh, my Lord, how can this be? That I am loved and known beyond what my heart can understand. That God has both written my story and holds my hand. And those are the words of our very own aspiring Christian poet, Sammy Arthur. And I think so many times we see in the Psalms, David, he's completely focused on God for his help. He's firmly resolved to look nowhere other than God, no matter what trial. And I think we neglect so easily. The Bible tells us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. But we neglect to do that so easily, don't we? But this morning our Father is calling us, his beloved children, to seek refuge in his protective and perfect care. And there's a great picture in Exodus. Uh, it's Exodus 33, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, Here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand. 
And I've read that verse so many times, but in the context of this psalm, it just really spoke to me. Whatever the difficulty, whatever the need we have this morning, our loving Father is telling us that there is a place beside him, reserved for each one of us. Standing on the rock, that is Christ, where his grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in our weakness, in our brokenness, whatever it may be. Amen. So his word is also a refuge to us, isn't it? And that's important. Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. You are my hiding place and my shield, and I hope in your word. So notice that hoping and clinging to the truth of his word is a shield to us in times of trouble. Through time spent in his word, I feel we can grow in hope. We can grow in our assurance and being comforted through his promises to us. He is literally our refuge and we have his word to know that protective and perfect care. And Romans 15 talks about that, how we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I just love how Jesus, he, he confirms and he affirms his love for us through the truth of his word, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And as we spend time in his word, our minds are renewed, our heart is changed. And often when I feel at my lowest, when I'm struggling, whatever it may be, temptation, distraction, pride, it's because I haven't been spending time in his word, because my heart hasn't been renewed. And I think it's so important to remember that we find refuge in his presence. We find strength in his presence. And we find encouragement, comfort and hope through his word. Let's remember that this week. So the refuge we find ourselves as Christians, we find in God alone. And we can encourage others to seek. So we see David in verse 8, having exhorted himself in his truth. He now exhorts the people, and that's really important. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge. So how he has come to know, being confident in this truth, he now encourages those that this psalm addresses. And remember this psalm was a psalm to be sung. It's a corporate psalm of worship. So now we're encouraging each other in this truth. And we spoke about that in Nehemiah, how we encourage each other. And I think the way he starts off this verse, trust in him at all times, you people, just reminds us that God is worthy at all times of our trust. We trust in him at all times, but at all times, he's worthy to be trusted. Amen. At all times. And like I said before, don't let your circumstances, whatever it may be, whatever you're going through, don't let your circumstances erode your trust in God, who is our rock this morning. Whatever means God is using to grow you in your faith, it may be great adversity, it may be a relationship, it may be something that's not going 
the way you thought it would. But whatever way God is using to grow your faith, whatever means, just remember that he divinely ordains those means. But that Jesus is the end. He's the focus. Our eyes are fixed upon Jesus. He's forever faithful. And he's utterly trustworthy for us. Amen. And David exhorts the people. He says, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge. And I think pour out your heart. There's a song where we sing, pour out your heart. It it, it can be easy to sing, almost impossible to do sometimes. But uh, Lamentations, chapter 2, verse uh, 19, helped me with this. It says, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for your children's lives. And there's an urgency about this, isn't there? There's an urgency about pouring out our heart before the Lord. And there's an honesty as well. The way we ought to pray, God knows our hearts, but he invites us to pour out everything before him. All our honest doubts, all the sin that we struggle with, all our worries, all our cares, all our praises, we lift everything all of it up before him. Why? Because God is a refuge. God is our refuge. And he cares for his children. Thank you, Lord. God is trustworthy. Trustworthy. And he wants us to put our trust in him at all times. And we see the psalm it ends quite poetically in verse 11. God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. So verse 11, David's affirming these truths over and over, once, twice. In Job 33, verse 14, he says, For God speaks the first time in one way and the second time in another. And that's something we've seen throughout this psalm, haven't we? It's not just repetition. It's affirming these truths to our soul, gospeling ourselves in the truth of God's good character. But here, if we see verse 11, that power belongs to God. See also verse 12. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. And I think that's where I find the most encouragement. David understood that God's character, God's good character, his divine nature, it was much more than just power. But God is rich, in mercy, and mercy belongs to him. Amen. I think if we look at the power of God and we don't have in view God's mercy, we can struggle. And this is the final point, really, that we are encouraged looking to God's power and his mercy. We look to his mercy. Or in the Hebrew, this word for for mercy is hesed, Maybe better translated as, as loving kindness or loyal love. And it's an Old Testament word, it's linked with the covenant that God has with his people, with us. And a modern translation would maybe be steadfast love, a loyal love, a love where God is committed to our good. And it's this type of covenant love, it belongs to God alone, it can't be found anywhere else. It's a love, you could say, it's a love predicated on his power. It's based on his power. And is therefore utterly dependable. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this verse. 
Charles Spurgeon says, the tender attribute of love sweetens the grand thought of his power. I'll just read that again. The tender attribute of love sweetens the grand thought of his power. The divine strength will not crush us, but will be used for our good. So our God is a God of love. Let's remember that this morning. A love that is loyal. God is good to us. And it's a love that is a true source of strength as well. In Psalm 94, verse 18, we read, If I say my foot is slipping, your loyal love, O Lord, supports me. So if you feel like you're slipping this morning, if you feel like you're slipping in your faith, maybe your eyes haven't been on Jesus this week. Maybe the world has conspired the enemy, whatever it might be, to take your eyes off the Lord, to trust in other things. But if you're slipping this morning, be still and know in his presence that he is sovereign, that he loves you, that he's demonstrated his love for you through Jesus Christ. And he gives us his spirit to generously uphold you each one of us, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, if he is our saviour, if he is our hope, he's given us his generous spirit that upholds us, strengthens us. And David ends in verse 12 with the words, for you render to each one according to his work. So see how David views God's justice here as both a demonstration of his power and his loyal love. And we all know power and authority belongs to Jesus that he is judge and he punishes sin through his own sacrifice. He's received the punishment. But also mercy is his to pardon and to forgive the, the guilty sinner. Mercy is his to pardon and forgive. And it's a mercy that flows freely every day for us. Why? Because Jesus paid our debt in full. To him alone belongs power and to him alone belongs mercy, loyal love for each one of us. So we've seen God's good character affirmed over and over in this psalm. So let's be encouraged in the truth of God's good character this morning. And let's trust in him completely. God is calling each of us today to find rest in him alone, in the saving work of Jesus Christ to trust in him. Amen. And remember I said this psalm was to be sung corporately. And I came actually across a, a, a song called Psalm 62. It's uh, by Aaron Keyes. And I wanted to give it to the worship team, um, but it wouldn't have been fair on Sammy. Like I say, I've been unwell, so I didn't get a chance to give it to them. But I, I learned it, so I'm going to play it for you guys. And some of you might, sing, might, might know it, and if you do, sing along. Um, but let's just spend some time to pray, to reflect on God's good character, on his loyal love, on his faithfulness this morning. Let's just use this time to respond to God and to rest in the good truth of who God is. We'll just have a bit of time in song and worship. And then we'll close. We'll close in prayer.
my soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my